0: Reading from the 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis, beginning with verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's kind of a rare thing, but I have a manuscript today, and just judging how the first part of this went, I'm kind of glad I do now. (laughs) Feel like maybe I would've just forgotten this sermon. Today, the sermon title is a fill-in-the-blank statement. These were my least favorite type of questions on tests in school. I like true, false, because you had a 50% chance. True, false, yes, no. Don't want any ABC, no multiple choice. But these things are, are killer, right? The answer that we seek, as you might remember from school, is in the blank. For example, I could ask you to fill in the blank to complete the following sentence. We are here today because blank is good. Now, we might be tempted to say, I'm here because I'm good, or I'm watching on Facebook because I'm good. I'm being faithful. I'm here today because I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing what my mama taught me, so I'm good today. I'm being good. And we might be tempted to say that we're here today because we are good. But hopefully the truth is we're not gathered together in person and online because of our own selves. Hopefully we're here in person and online because God is good. That's why we gather. We came to offer worship to God and, and worship, as you may already know, is a modern shortening of the old English word worth where we come to declare the worth of God. We come to demonstrate that worth by seeing it, by hearing of God's goodness from the scriptures and by sharing our own personal testimonies about what God is doing in our lives. The blank is to be filled in with a name. The title is Blank Wouldn't Give Up. Names are kind of interesting things. For instance, prior to May first, two 2003, there was a highway in Arizona that I traveled one night at midnight, and it was terrifying. It was Highway 666. They called it the Devil's Highway, and me and my friend Joseph were traveling that thing on a field trip at midnight. And I looked at him and said, I don't know about you, but I don't like it. In 2003, Arizona renamed that highway to 491. It just got to be a little too much. The road is still there. It's just lost its mystique. People used to make jokes about traveling the Devil's Highway in Arizona. They used to have T-shirts for it. The road is still there. The asphalt is still there. And I imagine the cactuses are still there. But it's lost its mystique. My dad likes to know the name of every little bird and tree that he sees. For the same reason, it adds to the mystery of it. It adds to his understanding of those things. For me, it's just a bird or a tree. But the names mean something to him. And likewise, names often mean more than we give them credit for. And then other times, names are meaningless to the thing that they signify. And you've heard at least one famous demonstration of that from a play. It goes like this. What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. Y'all heard that before? That's from Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? Because Juliet was upset because she was a Capulet and Romeo was a Montague. And they had said they couldn't get married because their fathers were jerks. Remember that story? Well, Juliet's point is what matters is somebody's being, who they really are, not the name. And she's right about that. But I've noticed before that people look like their names or act like their names, and I think that's because people pick their children's names based off their personalities. But some say that what what Shakespeare was actually doing was taking a jab at the Rose Theater. They were his, his competition. The Rose Theater had plumbing problems. Any of y'all ever had a sewage, sewage tank back up in your bathroom? That was the Rose Theater. Happened to them all the time. Their plumbing would back up. And so when he said a rose by any other name would still smell like sewage, is what he was saying in that play. It was a jab at the Rose Theater. But he's given us an insight into something that's true about us. That we value the being and not the name, but sometimes because we value the being, we change the name or give it a name that matters. Like if you love ruby-throated hummingbirds, you're going to know that name. And the flower that we know is a rose would certainly smell the same if we changed its name to a carnation or if we called it a turkey. We would still understand what it is by how we experience it. And then sometimes names are extremely important, particularly when they're given to mark a new relationship or a new reality, especially biblical names. Almost all the names in the Old Testament mean something, and the people who heard them in the original telling of these stories knew that. It's true with both regard to sacred spaces and human beings. For instance, when, when um, Jacob named a place Bethel, He was calling it the house of God. And sometimes a name change is necessary to reflect some specific meaning like the change of a place to mark a place or to mark a relationship. And we've all seen that happen when people get married, right? Right after the wedding, someone will come out and say, I present to you Mrs. and Mr. Kim Stricker or something like that. I don't know. We've heard somebody say about the bride at a wedding reception. Who was she? You ever heard that? Somebody will want to know. They don't really know the bride, but they know the husband, so they'll sidle up to somebody and say, well, who was she? Even if they already know her name, they want to know who she was, and what they want to know is whose family did she belong to. They're thinking that the poor girl just died or something. Her name is different. She ceased to exist. They want to know who she was. So what do people tell them? Well, her mom and daddy were dismissed to so live over there on such and such road. You've heard those kinds of conversations where people wrestle to get to know who someone is by their name because their name carries meaning in their community. I remember when I first came and appointed here, the first time I took my trash across the street, I introduced myself as the pastor at Adnan, and somebody said, Oh, you mean Mitchell United Methodist. I thought that was funny. But that's the kind of thing that happens. We come to know places by the names that are associated with them. And I think the very best of the traditional marriage custom of changing names is meant to indicate that there's there's a birth of a new relationship, that something is happening there that matters, that one person is being taken hold of by the other. Can you imagine that? In the book of Genesis, when God tells the man to, to leave his mother and cling to the wife, that's what he's talking about. The actual clinging, the taking hold of each other creates a new relationship, and the two become one, God said. And so the name has changed in our tradition to reflect that the two have become one. That they have taken hold of each other. Taken hold of each other in a new relationship. That's at its best is what the name change associated with our marriage tradition reflects. I've kind of always wanted to do one where the man took the woman's name just to see what people would say. Because that, too, is the truth, right? When we have a wedding service, both the man and the woman give themselves to each other or it can't survive. That's the thrust of what's happening with Jacob in this story. His name is changed to reflect a new relationship. Jacob was a twin. His twin brother's name was Esau, Esau. And Esau was the one that was actually born first. Now, he was hairy, so his name means he is hairy. (laughs) So if you ever have a hairy dog, you can name him Esau. Jacob's name had a specific meaning. It meant he grasped the heel. Because when Esau was born, Jacob came out holding the heel of Esau. And later on, Jacob's name became a Hebrew idiom for deceiver because of how he lived and how he behaved. Right from the womb, he was wrestling with his brother. And so he was named, he grasped the hill. You probably remember the story of how he went out and, and found some goats and killed them and brought them to his father and pretended to be Esau. He put the goat skin on his arms so Isaac could feel the hair. And he pretended to be Esau so he could steal Esau's birthright. And that's how we get the word deceiver from his name. But here's the interesting thing God took a man who deceived his brother out of his birthright, changed his name, and created a new relationship with him. God worked with Jacob's deceitfulness to bring about the Christ. God changed Jacob's name. We should probably note that the text didn't say that that Jacob had had a sudden change of heart, that he repented of all his deceptions, or that he somehow managed to merit God's attention. If you know his story, you know he wasn't perfect, and you know that he never changed from not being perfect. Not even that night when he was on that mountain wrestling with God. When he first left home for fear of his brother Esau, Jacob had a dream about a ladder going to and from heaven. And God made an oath to Jacob in that vision. And God said this to Jacob, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you live, I will give to you and to your offspring and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and the east, the north and the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised. What we hear in God's oath is God choosing Jacob despite who Jacob was. Jacob hasn't repented and changed. Nothing's different about him. He's still running because he cheated his brother out of what belonged to his brother. He's running because he's deceived his father into sending him to another place because he complained that he didn't want to marry a woman from that region. He helped us had his father command him to leave so that he could get away from his brother Esau. But God doesn't put stipulations on Joseph, on Jacob saying, if you'll do this, if you'll do this, if you'll do this. But God absolutely and unflinchingly chooses Jacob saying, I will be your God. I will keep you. I will bless all peoples through you. And God promised to sustain Jacob and keep him until he returned to his own land. And God established a new relationship With Jacob, whereby we are all known to God. That's how important this is. For from this time on, God would be known as the God of Israel. Jacob was now a person of a covenant. Not a son of someone that God had made a covenant with, but he himself was a person that God had claimed in a covenant relationship. And so in the text today, Jacob's name is changed to mark that new relationship. Just like when a bride is received by her husband, when the husband takes hold of the bride and the bride takes hold of the husband by taking his name. It wasn't based solely on his life or solely on his encounter with God, but based on God having chosen to use Jacob despite who he was. And in some ways, that's better news than if God had chosen his older brother who was upright and perfect, other than having really hairy arms. We need to know a God who will use us despite the fact that we have been deceitful. God was willing to struggle and wrestle with Jacob and changed his name to Israel, which means one who struggles with God, who wrestles with God. And also means one who strives alongside of God. For that description is a description of the whole people of Israel all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, including the church that has been grafted into the people of Abraham, the people of Israel through the love of Christ. God appeared to Jacob and took hold of him. So God attached a Hebrew name for God to Jacob's name himself. The Israel is the part you get struggle from. The L is short for Elohim, which is a plural Hebrew word for God. God actually affixed his name to Jacob to show that he had taken hold of him. And we could look at that and see that Jacob refused to give up. He's wrestling with, some say, an angel of God, and some say God himself. But regardless, if he's wrestling with an angel of God, he's wrestling with God. And Jacob wouldn't give up because he wanted God's blessing that God had promised him in that dream. And so we could answer our question, Blank wouldn't give up, by filling in the name Jacob, and we would be right. And we could use that to encourage ourselves to keep pressing on, even when things look weird, even when we're wrestling in our faith and wrestling with things of the world and wrestling with other people. And that is a good option. But there's another option because there's another person in the story it's God Almighty. Perhaps God's name belongs in the blank in our title. Jacob's character might actually reveal that to us. in The same way that the nature of wrestling reveals that. Because Jacob was a wrestler from the womb. He took hold of his brother Esau and wrestled with him. And now he has taken hold of God to wrestle with God. And God did not refuse to wrestle with Jacob. Did you notice that? I mean, God could have touched his arm and made him let go. He could have touched his hip earlier in the fight. But God waited until it became dangerous for Jacob to touch his hip. A medieval Jewish commentator said this about wrestling in relation to this text. He said it's the habit of two people who made strong efforts to throw each other to the ground that they must embrace one another, right? I mean, we've seen WWE Raw, right? They run out in the ring and grab each other and belly flop each other on the ground and they take hold of each other. There's no letting go. I can think of my own life and think of that some of my best friends in life have been formed through struggle. Either people that I struggled with them or people that I struggled through other stuff with. Is that true for y'all? Facebook people can't shake their heads, but I see heads shaking in here. We all know that quality of life. It's the struggle in life that gives life its deepest meaning. Not always the good times. It's the struggles in life that bring people to truly appreciate God's good gifts. In the same way, many of us have probably found goodness in 2020, even though it's been a struggle since January 1st. That is the nature of struggling. It creates companions and it creates covenant. Where people agree we will get through this together. Have you ever told somebody that? Have you ever said to someone, we'll be with you? It's a covenant. And that covenant is defined by your names. And so here, here, we see it being true that Jacob struggled with God But Jacob could not have struggled with God if God had not been willing to struggle with Jacob. It has occurred to me in the past when I've read through the Old Testament, Lord, why didn't you give up on these people? And the answer is always because God is faithful. And God made an oath to Jacob, whose name he changed to wrestles with me, wrestles with God. So we realize that God didn't give up either. God would not let Jacob go. God didn't give up on Jacob when he grabbed his brother's heel in the womb. He didn't give up on Jacob when he stole his brother's birthright, which meant that Jacob got two-thirds of the property instead of the one-third that he was supposed to get. I mean, that's a pretty big thief, right? He didn't give up on Jacob when he ran off. But instead, God chose and took hold of Jacob. And all of Jacob's deceitfulness and all of his character flaws and all the ways that he cheated people and sought to get ahead through unscrupulous means, God did not say, I will not choose him any longer. God did not cast him away. God did not look at him and say, he's unusable to me. God did not look upon him and say, he's trash. God did not look upon him and say he doesn't matter. God looked upon him and said, I will struggle with him and with his children. And God changed his name to reflect the promise that God would struggle with them and with all of us from now until the kingdom comes in its completion. And I would imagine if we were all honest, we would all admit that we struggle that sometimes our struggle is with God, sometimes we do wrestle with God. Sometimes we struggle to be self-sufficient and own ourselves and claim that we have no one or nothing that can lay claim to us. We want to be autonomous. We want to believe that everything we have is ours when the Bible tells us that everything we are and have is God's. When we try to hold our claim and say, I don't have to care about other people, when God would say to us, you are your brother's keeper. Sometimes our first inclination is to do all we can to ensure that our life is great and powerful and serves me and serves us. And sometimes our first thoughts about God or what we want God to do for us and we treat God as a cosmic vending machine and echo Jacob saying if you will do this for me and you will do this for me and you will do this for me then you will be my God and God continues to wrestle with us anyway not wanting to let go because he has taken hold of us If God wouldn't give up on Jacob, if God would have said, this man ain't worth nothing, I'm throwing him away, I can't do anything with him, then surely God won't give up on us either. Maybe you're struggling with something new in your life. Maybe you're struggling with something that you feel attacks right at your very heart. Then hear this story and know that God has taken hold of you and God will not let go. Sometimes we need to be reminded that God can use us and even use our failures. That sometimes it's in our very deceitfulness that God sees someone that God can put to work for God's purposes. That God can transform and make new. I've experienced days when I needed to put this aub on to stand before you to remind myself that I was chosen by God and taken hold of God for this purpose. And I don't have the right to let go. Where is your struggle? Where do you need to be reminded that God will not give up on you? If God refused to give up on Jacob, surely God won't give up on me or you. If God can use Jacob and call him into a new covenant, then God can call us into a new covenant. And renew us and give us a new identity and call us God's own people. If God can give Jacob that blessing, surely God will bless us. So as we struggle, we can be comforted to know that the one who has taken hold of us through the faith that he gives us and through our baptism into Christ. Your baptism is God's taking hold of you. In a wrestling match that's meant to last the rest of eternity. To bring you and conform you into the image of his son. Even if you come kicking and screaming. God will not give up on you. So when, when you face bad things. When things are bad or times are bad. When you feel set aside. When you feel alone. When you feel ostracized. Remember that God. God. God is faithful. God is with us and will continue to love us even when our love fails. God's love will remain steadfast. God will not give up on us. He has taken hold of us. And I give you that promise in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.